Um, a transformation uh, has happened. Uh, that means, obviously, that there's um, more to resurrection than meets the eye. And something has changed. Something is different when Jesus resurrects to what it was before. But what exactly is different? What is the resurrection? And just right off the bat, it, it can't be just the fact that a man has come to life and uh, that he died and now he's alive. Uh, because John actually does, um, gives us a good indication that that can't be the main point. Because in, in John, there is a guy called Lazarus who dies and he's actually in a tomb for four days, more than Jesus, and he's raised to life. And so the groundbreaking knowledge can't be that someone has just come back to life. Um, it can't be the fact that, um, that it gives us hope for a resurrection. Uh, it, it has to be something more than that, because in that same scene with Lazarus, uh, Martha, his sister, after Lazarus has died, comes to Jesus and um, she's, she's, she pretty much says to Jesus that she knows that, that, that she will rise again in the last day. There's something more about the resurrection of Jesus that he's wanting us to understand. He's wanting us to redefine resurrection hope. So how does Jesus redefine it um, for us? In in John 11, this is, this is the story of Lazarus. Um, Lazarus has died. Um, his sister Martha comes to Jesus and she says this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise from the dead. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Is what Jesus says. And there's a very important transition in what he says here that, that I think is sometimes easy to just um, skimp over or gloss over. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And I think there's nothing too out of the ordinary in that. Uh, in fact, it, it probably sums up what we would think of resurrection. If you die, then you will be brought back to life. But then Jesus goes on to say something that actually shows that that's, that's not really what he's saying. This is what he says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And so if we, if we take what he's saying there, that they will never die, we have to understand he's redefining our idea of life and death. He is the resurrection and the life. The ones who live and believe in Him have life, even while they are dying. In fact, even if they die, they still have life. 
Here's what Jesus is saying, essentially, when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's saying the resurrection isn't about coming back from the dead. It's about who he is. He is life and life never dies. Life might appear to die, but it cannot be snuffed out. It will prove to be ongoing, to still be alive, to be eternal. It will resurrect. Not that it will die and then come back to life. Jesus says, it will never die. It will never lose its life. Life, Jesus, that's what we mean, life is a higher authority than death. Jesus is a higher authority. And here's the subtle but revolutionary distinction that Jesus is wanting to make. And this is what is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus is life and death cannot take life away. In other words, the process that we would call dying cannot actually take him away. If Jesus is life, then even when he dies, he's still life. Life can never be taken away from him. He can never be separated from himself. Death is not an authority over him. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he's saying that he is the proof that death cannot take away life, that he has authority over death. Jesus is resurrection and life. Now, this might seem like it's a bit of arbitrary sort of um, redefining of terms, but this is fundamental to to the reality of things. It's fundamental to the gospel of what Jesus is wanting to communicate to us. So what does understanding the resurrection as being Jesus mean for us? Jesus actually spends all of his ministry, and we've seen this multiple times in Luke, he's trying to get his disciples to see that life and resurrection are defined by who he is but it doesn't seem to land for them. And even as, I, as I'm preparing this and speaking, I, like I, I understand why it doesn't land. Uh, there's something that he's really trying to tap into here that even as I'm talking, I'm going, what, what exactly is going on here? What, what does it mean to redefine resurrection and life as Jesus himself? But he is the revealer of truth. He's the one who is communicating who he is to us in his very life. But there's a, there's a caveat here. And the reality is that there is someone else that is, very, is working very hard to hide the truth that Jesus is trying to communicate 
to us. And we've, we've encountered this multiple times in, um, in Luke, and I've got a few of those up on the screen there where you see that um, in the parable of the sower, the devil is the one who comes to take away the word from their heart so that they will not believe. In, in Luke 9, you've got another, another um, instance there where they do not understand because it is concealed from them. And in the chapter we're looking at tonight, uh, Luke 24, in verses 15 to 17, this is what it says. This is the, the two disciples, after Jesus has died and resurrected, they don't know he's resurrected yet, they're walking, pretty downcast, uh, all of their hope is shattered, and uh, this is where we pick up in Luke 24, 15 to 17. They're just talking about um, everything that's happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they came to a stop looking sad. They were kept from recognizing him. Then they even proceed to tell Jesus uh, what Jesus has been missing about himself. Uh, they tell him his own story of, of what's, what's been happening. The very same story that Jesus has tried to tell them on numerous occasions, but they have not been able to take it in. Jesus hears them out and he comes back with these words. You foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? There's, there's clearly a blindness here over the disciples that's preventing them from understanding what Jesus is saying. Someone is concealing the truth from them. What can't they see? Why is, why is it necessary that these things have to happen? Why must Jesus suffer? Why must he be handed over, be betrayed by someone that's close to him, abandoned by his closest friends, humiliated, put to death by suffering as a criminal on a cross, and then rise from the dead? Why must these things happen? Jesus is saying here, that unless these things happen, we will not see that He Himself is the resurrection and the life. There's someone who does not want us to know this and He is doing everything to dispel this, this cloud that we're in, this, inner, this darkness, this blindness that the disciples are experiencing. And, and we know that the Bible, and even Jesus in his parable, says that this someone who is, is blinding, Paul says, the, the eyes of unbelievers, is Satan. And there's a lie that he has been spinning that... that that Jesus knows unless he comes the way 
he has, and unless he suffers, the lie will never be completely unmasked. We will never be able to see Jesus as he truly is, resurrection and life. And if we don't see him as he is, we will not be able to receive him as he is, to receive life himself. And this is the lie of Satan that blinds us from seeing the truth. God cannot be trusted. God is not in control. God is not good. And this is the way that he maintains this lie in this world. He convinces us that suffering and death are proof that we cannot trust God. If we encounter um, suffering and death in our lives, in this world, then it must mean God in some way is not in control. And perhaps He's not even good. This is the material that Satan works with. And if we buy into the lie, we will, either with our whole lives or just in part, start to do things in our own power to avoid suffering and death ourselves. If God cannot be trusted, we need to take matters into our own hands. This is the lie. This is how he maintains the lie. And to unmask this lie over humanity so that we can see what life truly is and receive life, Jesus must suffer as a human. He has to allow Satan to effectively throw the kitchen sink at him and then emerge with just as much life as he had before. Fully confident still and trusting in the goodness of his Father knowing that his father has always been in control and that Satan has never had any power over him. This is truth. Jesus is the resurrection and the life for us. He has unmasked the lie for our sake so that we might know life in him. This is why he came, for no other reason. It's his eternal life that he came to give us, not a temporary life of our own choosing. Jesus, the resurrection, the way, the truth, the life is the very definition of life. It's only as his life, his very person exposes all our false ways of living that we can turn to him and walk in his way, the way that is truth and life. This is the reason the, even the Apostle John, he talks about Jesus as the light of the world, coming into darkness to expose and dispel the darkness so that we can walk in the light. 
And since Jesus cannot die, he is forever working to reveal himself to us, to make us alive in him. He has never stopped revealing himself to us. But while there are still people believing in Satan's lie, Satan will continue manufacturing it. He'll keep propping it up. But he can't keep it up forever. And the good news is that Jesus is perseverance incarnate. He will not die. Satan tried. He will not die. The lie will continue to be dispelled. This is the movement that Jesus is making. And Jesus will not stop until it has been completely unmasked. And that's what we see here in Luke 24. We'll pick up on the dialogue here. These two, the two disciples, they're, they're, they've abandoned all hope. Jesus, Jesus to them is dead. They've put their hope in him. He's no longer around. They're, they're walking despondent. Jesus himself comes to them and is talking with them. They do not recognize him. And Jesus is going to continue chipping away until the lie has been destroyed. We pick up Luke 24 from verse 27. Jesus, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther. And so they strongly urged him saying, stay with us for it's getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And it came about when he had reclined at the table with them, that he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and began giving it to them, and then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Now, before we get sidetracked and, and start imagining, okay, well, wh- where'd he go? What was, what was the point of that? Uh, there, there is something incredible that's happening here, even with his, with his disappearance. And it speaks to what is happening when the truth is revealed, the truth being Jesus. When he is revealed and accepted, when people see and accept the truth that Jesus reveals, that truth, that very same truth, prepares the way, and this may be a a bit of a spoiler alert as we go into Acts, but it prepares the way for the very spirit of Jesus to come into them, life itself to come into them. Just because Jesus disappears and they can't see him anymore doesn't mean that God is not there. It doesn't mean that he can't be trusted or that that he's not always working for their good. This is the truth that the disciples are coming to know now. Satan's lie has lost its foothold. God can be trusted. The Father can be trusted. In Luke 17, this is what Jesus says. 
speaking into this. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. This is the reality that he's wanting to open up as the truth is seen, as his person is seen and accepted, the reality of who he is, is within the person who knows him, who believes in him. And Paul actually effectively says the same thing in Romans. He says, do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will go up and bring Christ down? Or, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to, to go down and bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the reality that these two disciples are coming to know, that, that Jesus wants us to know here this very night. Not that resurrection is just something that we talk about as an event 2,000 years ago, but Jesus, the resurrection, is here tonight wanting to meet with us. Jesus and Paul are saying the same thing. As soon as the truth, that is Jesus, is revealed to us, He, Jesus, life Himself, begins to dwell in us by His Spirit. Jesus has revealed Himself to be resurrection and life for us. The resurrection tells us in bold letters that until we can say that we see and realize a one-to-one -one likeness between us and Jesus until we are exactly as he is, then we're missing out on the fullness that he has for us. He is life. And if there are elements of him that we do not seem to have, then there are still areas of our lives where we are believing a lie. There's still more that he has for us. What Jesus is wanting us to see and receive more of is his very person, to know his Father, to know that he rules over all things in Jesus, that the kingdom is here, in fact. This is not the kingdom of Satan. This is his kingdom. And we are his children. And he holds no good thing back from us. We can live with reckless abandon in following Jesus and loving others. We can know more of his life as we believe in him and turn from the lie that has grabbed the hold of our lives in, in any shape and form. And we'll know areas of our life where we're believing a lie still because we will be as these disciples were, sad and downcast, even while the very person of Jesus, for us, even while the very spirit of Jesus is within us, wanting to commune with us, wanting to align our lives with him so that we can experience the truth of his life. 
This is not a guilt trip at all. If there are areas in our lives where we feel like we're despairing or we lack hope or we're not experiencing the fullness of joy that Jesus says that he has for us, then that is an invitation to know life within you as you expose the lie in the light of who Jesus is. And we're going to spend actually the next six months exploring what that journey looked like for the early church. We're going to go through that in Acts. But, but let's not just read about this. The reality is the kingdom is here, the kingdom is within us, and there is an opportunity for us to dispel the lies of the enemy within us to an increasing degree so that we are leaping and bounding towards likeness in Christ, so that we begin to know more and more of His life within us. Abundance, divine providence, the complete self-giving love of God, this is the divine nature that He wants us to partake in. Jesus says, in effect, unless you eat and drink my reality, unless you take it in, unless it becomes flesh and blood in you, the only true reality, unless you do that, you do not have life in you. You are allowing Satan to rob you of your joy in God. He says it's foolishness. His words, not mine. His rebuke to the two on the way to Emmaus. This is very different to wishful thinking. I really want to highlight this. It's very different to blind optimism. If you believe a lie, if there's a lie in your life, and you'll know, you'll know this from experience, if there is a lie, you become caged by it. it. It begins to govern your life by fear. But if you move against a lie towards truth, the lie will fail. It has to because it has no substance. It's not, a, it's not truly a reality. And as you, as you go against the lie, as you expose the lie, you come to know truth. You come into truth. And this is what Jesus is calling us to realize. It's not just believing things for the sake of believing things. It's having faith in the person of Jesus, seeing the reality he lives and then stepping out in faith where, where, where it might seem to bring about fear or it might, might seem to not make sense, but to step out and when you step out to come to know what truth really is, to come and know his life for sure within you. This is not blind optimism. And it's an incredible thing actually as... As we see in this story, what exactly happens here is Jesus is chipping away. He will not stop until we enter into the fullness of this. He's done it with the disciples here. And so you see the communion here. This, this is really um, a, an enactment of what Jesus even did there with these two disciples, breaking bread with them. And as they broke bread, all of a sudden the reality clicked and they saw Jesus as he was. And that is what we long to do here. Not for some, not for some um, supernatural experience that's just going to zap us by His Spirit. 
but to, to assert the reality and to reject the lie. As we come here, as we, as we come to partake together, these are the things that we're, that we're coming um, to, to recall. These are the things that I, wanna, that, that I want us as a community to keep at the forefront of our minds as we do this, that we might know Him, the truth, and reject any lies that have got a hold in our lives. This is the first thing. Jesus broke bread at the feeding of the thousands. It, what he did there didn't make any sense to this world. He trusted in the abundant provision of his Father. Jesus calls us to trust in the abundant provision and the goodness of God. Even if there is a lie of scarcity pervading our society at the moment even if there's an internal desire to, to appropriate things for ourselves or to keep secure for ourselves or to keep comfortable for ourselves, we are called to reject the lie that we need to keep for ourselves rather than giving of ourselves to others. This is who Jesus is, exemplified on the cross. And that's the second thing I want to keep in mind, Jesus on the cross we're rejecting Satan's lie that the Father has forsaken his Son. The fullness of Satan's lie is actually brought to a fever pitch on the cross. This is what Satan is screaming out as Jesus is hanging on the cross. Look, how can God be good? See what happens to those who trust in Him? What will happen if you step out and trust in Him? And we're here to reject that lie, to align ourselves with Jesus, the resurrection and the life, to acknowledge that Jesus has disarmed Satan and his lie, that He's made a public display of Him having triumphed over him on the cross. He could not be separated from life. And as we align ourselves with him, as we come to know his life within us, we will not be separated from life. So as we're taking these elements, we're committing our lives to the truth of Jesus, to conform ourselves to His image, to living and believing in Him as we walk in the light of who He is. So that's what we're going to do. Um, the, the way we're going to do this actually is, is, I might get the band to come up, and um, as we worship in the last song, uh, we'll have a server here, we're going to be COVID safe, um, and, and, and just during worship, what, what, whatever, whatever um, you feel that Jesus has been speaking to you or revealing to you by His Spirit, commit to rejecting the lie and come and partake of who He is, committing to follow Him and stepping into what He has for you. So that's what we're going to do as we worship. But let me pray now and then, and then we'll do that. Come, just come as you, as you feel ready or prepared. 
um, but uh, but if yeah if if you if you feel like you're not ready or or you're you're not really sure exactly what this is that's fine don't feel like you have to have to do this um, we'd love to keep talking about it afterwards as well so if, if there are questions uh, we want to keep coming together and bringing before us the person of Jesus fixing our eyes on him and allowing his life to be the direction for us and then seeing that he truly is a reality in us that we have the assurance of his very life in us let's pray father we thank you for who you are that you have never forsaken or abandoned us, but your heart has always been to bring us into the truth. And you sent your son for that express purpose, to reveal truth to us and to open the way, the only way through him to know life as we walk and follow Father, we even read in the psalm earlier that, that, that the reality that you know is true and it supersedes any reality we can know. We read darkness is not even darkness to you. We have to come to see things through your eyes. We have to come to see the truth that is underlying all of reality. We need to reject the seeds of of destruction, the seeds of lies that Satan has planted in our lives over, over many years that we have taken in, that we have allowed to take root. But you have not given up on us. Thank you, Jesus. And so we come now to look on you, to open ourselves up to you and to reject the lies that we have believed and to continue into your marvelous light in ever-increasing measure. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, let's worship together. And just as you feel led, maybe, maybe feel free to stay um, sitting there. But just as you feel led, um, um, let's come and partake together of the life, the body and the blood of Jesus.